You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. Started. We've been in the book of Mark, and I don't know about you guys, but I've been thoroughly enjoying it. In fact, I've been loving hearing the gospel each week and just kind of learning not just of what I know of Jesus to be true from my past or from Sunday school lessons or whatever that looks like, but to actually look at the gospel and say, this is who Jesus is, and this is exactly what he's taught, and this is exactly how he operated. And we've been going through the entire book, and and so it's going to be several more weeks that we're in this study. But as we're preaching through it, last week, if you missed, we had this big moment with Jesus where he looked at his disciples and he said, some people are going to hear the gospel and they're not going to respond. In fact, he throws out four different scenarios and only the fourth one is the person who's truly had their heart transformed by the gospel. And so he lets us know this reality that he starts early and it's a narrative throughout the gospels that, uh, you know, there's this narrow path to salvation and he he shows us what it looks like to be good soil. And so now the, the narrative is going to shift And as the narrative shifts, he's going to get with his leadership team. He's going to put them in a boat, and he's going to send them off. And he's going to deal with this issue that paralyzes them in their life and paralyzes us in our life. It's this issue of fear. And Jesus makes this statement in Mark chapter 4 as he starts closing out that chapter. He says this to his disciples, and he says it to us now thousands of years later. He says, why are you so afraid? I mean, could there be a narrative that fits tighter into everything that we're dealing with as a people, as a church, as a culture, than this issue of fear. He says, why are you so afraid? And so what Jesus is doing in the Gospels as he comes to earth is he's ushering in this new kingdom, and it's not just a little different. It flips everything on its head. In the new kingdom, demons are cast out. In the new kingdom, concepts like the first shall be last and the last shall be first, are thrown at us. In the new kingdom, crowds are thinned out. In the new kingdom, tax collectors are redeemed. In the new kingdom, there's this redefinition of what it means to truly be a follower. And so he's laying this out, and then he asks this question in a boat when they're paralyzed with fear. He says, what are you so afraid of? And as we start this time together out, I want you to dig back into your memory banks of your childhood earliest childhood memory. If you look at your childhood, you're going to find a narrative. If you had a a loving, how many of you guys grew up in a loving home? How many of you hated your, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you grew up in in a loving home, you're, you're going to relate to this statement. Then in some of your earliest childhood memories, and feel this with me because it's something that you forget as you get older. In your earliest childhood memories, you probably remember this time where you woke up, uh, maybe it's one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, you had this night terror. Are you, are you tracking with that? Are you remembering and experiencing that with me? And, and in that moment, you're shaking, and in that moment, everything feels irrational, but, but also in that moment, it feels perfectly real. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And, it's, and if, you're parent, if you parented, you know how this works, where uh, when your kids are little, They come to you, and everything is a mess, and you can't really talk to them. You can't really relate to them. 
And, and, in that, and in that moment of fear where everything's irrational, all you're trying to do is grab a hold of some type of truth to calm them down. Are we awake? Are you experiencing that with me? I, I can remember those times in early adolescence where I would go to my parents' room and for whatever reason the sky was falling or I had this night tear and my mother, who was a very nurturing and still is a very nurturing woman, would hold me in her arms and I'm going to get cheesy and vulnerable with you and she would hold me and you know you have that sweat from your pillow type of experience and she would hold me and in, in this soothing voice, just feel this moment with me, she would say this, she'd sing it. She'd say, it's okay, it's all right. And literally as a 40, almost one-year-old man, I can still feel it. And so then I, then I became a parent 15 years ago, and my kids started coming into our room, and they came in with this night tear, and it was the same narrative, right? You hold them, and, and in all of my masculinity, I can be kind of an emotional type of, like I have teenagers and I still hug them a lot and they sit on chairs with me. And it's actually kind of weird, but especially because they're boys. But, but it's this idea of it's okay, it's all right. And there's something that we tell them that's kind of untrue, what's well, true in this moment, but it's not really true in the entire narrative of life, that when they're scared, we want to embrace them and we want to tell them everything's going to be okay. And when you have little kids, you have little problems. And when you have big kids, you have big problems. But no matter what they're going through, like my, my oldest son, I got a picture of my, he's going to be at the second service. I just want to, do we have a picture of, yep. So now he's two, 220 pounds, six something. Like he's almost as big as me, but I can still easily take him. And, and, and if he comes to me with a problem, right, I mean, it's, it doesn't go away. Everything's going to be Okay. This is a narrative that runs out through the course of our parenting. But now Jesus steps on the scene, and here, here's the connection point. Jesus steps on the scene, and he makes this statement in the way that he deals with his team that I want us to see right out of the gate, and it's a statement from Andy Stanley, and I want you to write it down. We're actually going to come back to this after the text. But as his new kingdom is established, Jesus says something that's a little different. Jesus says this, he says, you don't have to fear even when there's something to be afraid of. Now, as a parent, whether my kid is a newborn or 15 years old and, and driving with a suspended license because he got in a fender bender, maybe that happened, but I mean, you want to tell them everything's going to be okay. Jesus steps on the scene and he deals with fear and he says this. He says, we don't have to be afraid or we don't have to fear even when there is something to be afraid of. How is that possible? That's only possible, guys, if Jesus is who Jesus says he is. That in the narrative of life, when the storms and the waves are crashing down, even in the midst of it's not okay, Jesus in his power and authority says, if you follow me, are you tracking? If you, if you lean in on me, it's going to be okay even when it's not okay. And here's how the story plays out. It's a quick story. We're going to walk through a story in Matthew and paraphrase it too so you can see both sides of this coin. But this is what I'm talking about. In Mark, at the end of chapter 4, Jesus has this moment with his team. And the Bible says in verse 35, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, 
let's go across to the other side. And they're on the Sea of Galilee, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And if you know the Bible at all, maybe you're coming to church and you don't, that's fine. We want to walk in this together. If you know the Bible at all, you know how the story ends, right? That he's going to calm the storm. But before he ever even does that, he tells his team, he says, come with me on this boat. We are going to go across the lake and it's going to be okay, even though it doesn't feel like it's okay. And as he's doing this, I want to bring something to light. Is there any possible way, knowing that Jesus knows everything, that Jesus didn't know the storm was about to hit? There's no way Jesus doesn't understand that basic principle. Jesus didn't just know that the storm was coming. He actually planned for this trip across the lake in the midst of the storm coming, and he purposed it, and in his sovereignty, he knew what it was all about to happen. And then the Bible says this, so before they ever knew, he already knew. The Bible says this, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern. Check this out. Underline in your Bible. It's just interesting. Jesus is on the, in the stern. And what does it say? That he was asleep on the cushion. I love that he had a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so the Sea of Galilee was big, is big. The Sea of Galilee is deep. The Sea of Galilee has an environmental surrounding that allowed for massive windstorms. It was a huge wind tunnel. This wasn't the first windstorm to ever hit this area. And so the disciples knew something. They knew that storms were more possible at night, and he calls them out into the evening. They knew that this wasn't the first windstorm, and it wasn't the last windstorm. And check this out. This is me just thinking through the text, and you can agree or disagree because we don't know. It's pretty likely, is it not, that they probably knew someone that wasn't only in a storm of this magnitude, but that they never came home? This is real life stuff for the disciples. They've been fishermen for years and years. In fact, this was a family business. This wasn't a new thing for them. And so as they enter into this windstorm, it's not only possible, it's probable that these guys actually knew someone who died in a very similar situation. And the Bible says that they're scared. And then the Bible also says this, that in the midst of their fear, Jesus is sawing logs. Jesus is sleeping. How is that possible? How could Jesus be sleeping? Number one, here's how that's possible. He's exhausted because he's doing ministry where people are exhausting him. And number two, Jesus knows the outcome. And so if you're the son of God, if you have power to calm the storm, if you have power to, to overcome death, and rise from a grave in the future, it's probably a little easier to sleep. And the disciples look at him, and they don't just analyze his behavior, they cast judgment into his motive. And they look at him and they say, don't you even care that we're going to die? They start prescribing motive to the Savior, and it doesn't go well. And so now Jesus responds, and I want you to look at your own storm, and I want you to hear how he responds because it's powerful. And the Bible says this. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them this statement that I opened with. He says, Why are you so afraid? 
Why are you paralyzed with fear? Why are you questioning me? Why are you prescribing motive to my behavior? He says, have you still no faith? And here's the last verse. And they were filled with great fear. And so the fear actually goes up. They're scared of their environmental surroundings, but then they see Jesus calm this storm and they're actually more scared because they realize that everything in their life has just changed, that there was someone that they don't even recognize. He has power even over nature. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this? that even the wind and even the sea obey him. Waves are crashing down all around them. Death is almost certain. Jesus gets up from a deep sleep with a cushion. He probably yawns, stretches out. Can you relate? Any, any people not morning people? This is evening, but whatever. He just kind of stretches out and goes, what's the problem? And he calms this storm. And, and I just imagine this moment. You really can't grasp it unless you're in it. The Sea of Galilee is deep. The Sea of Galilee is ferocious. The sea of, it's not like, you know, Wiley Lake is as amazing as ferocious as that is. The Sea of Galilee will swallow you up and take no prisoners, and he stretches out his hand, and then immediately, the Bible says, immediately the calm of the storm, just it just goes away completely. Think about it in your mind's eye, what this would have been like, where it goes from raging waves crashing in on the boat, death is imminent, death is certain, and then, check it out, just, just nothing, nothing. The closest thing I can relate it to that would be you know, accurate is when you go to Storybook Land, it's probably similar, and if you guys, anybody, and you're like, I'm not from Aberdeen. Well, okay, we, we're preaching to Aberdeen for a second. You go to Storybook Land, and, and you go through that white house where the storm, you know, like my kids were scared of this when they were little. And you open that huge wind tunnel that's got about a $10 budget, and you go through it. And what happens after you see everything flying around you? And you open that second door out the back, right? Are you tracking? And then... Nothing, all is well. I think that's what it's like. That's probably about accurate. I can't imagine it'd be worse than that. <laughs> this miracle is a game changer. I was thinking about, I was talking to our, our discipleship group on Tuesday about this text, and I was thinking about the power and magnitude of, of even having power over Mother Nature. It's one thing to see a guy come through a roof. It's even, a, it's even something to see someone demon-possessed get healed. But when you're dealing with a personal narrative now, because they were seeing people whose lives were on the line, now they're seeing their own life on the line. And I think that's a narrative shift where it gets really personal. Now they're really scared. And now they're really questioning. And Jesus is saying, I have power over Mother Nature and everything is going to be still. And I imagine in that moment, just following that storybook land analogy, they look around and they say, we're not in Kansas anymore. Everything has shifted. Everything we thought we knew has changed. This new kingdom is totally different. In fact, the narrative keeps going because if you see the other Gospels, you'll see a story in Matthew that's even more popular where Jesus is praying on a mountain. He sends his team back into the same, into the same sea, into the same situation. The only difference is this time Jesus doesn't go with them. And Jesus says, hey, I need you guys to get back on the boat and I need you to get back into a storm. He doesn't tell him that part. 
And as they go back into the boat and they're headed off to the sea, they start to relive this trauma as a tremendous, the Bible says, a tremendous head wave or a headwind is coming at them. And all of a sudden they're paddling and not going anywhere and they're freaking out. And then the Bible says this, Jesus is showing this great lesson on how he's in control of mother nature and how he's in control over fear. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus waits till three in the morning, write it down. He waits till three a.m. and he starts walking towards them. How many hours had they been spent freaking out on the sea, and now Jesus, as they're reliving their trauma, isn't in the boat with them. He's walking towards them. The Bible says that they think they see a ghost. He calls Peter out. Peter starts walking on the waves, and it's this huge moment where he lacks some faith, and he starts sinking. Jesus grabs him, put him back in the boat, and here's the contrast of the storyline. The first time he performs this miracle of calming the sea, they say, who is this? Now check it out. The second time he performs the same miracle in a different context, they look around and they have this light bulb moment where they say, truly, this is the Son of God. Make no question about it. Jesus walks into this situation and everything changes. And here's what I want us to see regarding fear this morning. I want us to own this statement by Andy Stanley, so if you haven't written it down, write it down right now, you're going to see it again. I want us to own this as a church. We don't have something to fear even when there's something to be afraid of. That's a promise that we only get in Jesus. Because the promise of the world is we have something to be afraid of, or it's a big lie that there's really, you know, it's okay, it's all right. It feels good, doesn't it? Has anyone had a parent do something like that? It feels good until something actually is wrong, and then it's just a vicious lie that's going to actually probably kill you if you're not being safe. Ingrained in all of us, I'm going to take this Stanley statement. I'm going to expand upon it. Ingrained in all of us is this fight-or-flight response. This is just basic psychology. When I was at home for a few weeks and I had COVID, I was going crazy because I literally had nothing to do. And so here's what I did. I watched a bunch of Netflix, just Jesus films, nothing else. And as I, was, <laughs> as I was watching Netflix, I got bored of Netflix, and I turned to my two Yorkies. And it literally became about day six of doing nothing, literally nothing. It became kind of this natural, na- National Geographic episode where I watched these two Yorkies go at it over and over and over again. There are these two brothers that seem to really love each other. And I call them brothers because now I'm emotionally bonded to these dogs slash humans. And they have this playful bantering back and forth that honestly, I always kind of did this. I'm not, I know this sounds heartless, but I've always kind of been like this with animals. Just kind of, you know, oh, see you later. And then when I had no one else because, my, you know, because I was alone, I had my Yorkies, and I watched them, and I I noticed some patterns in their behaviors. This 3.2-pound Rambo, full-grown, I mean, ultimate little man syndrome, Yorkie, he's a Yorkie, Yorkie poodle, was continually chasing after, once he felt threatened, my 12 pound Yorkie. And so there was this back and forth that would take place in my COVID, you know, isolation where I just would watch them and stop Netflix. And I would see Rambo do something. He'd feel threatened and he would attack. He would fight. He would fight. And then he would start getting beat up and he would run under the couch. And literally the couch is about that high off the ground, but he's three pounds. And then 
my bigger dog would look at him in disgust, like he's the biggest, you know, wuss of all time. And then eventually, because dogs aren't that smart, he would forget. And when he would forget, Rambo would jump back out and go on attack mode. And over and over, this process took place. And there were really only two options. He would either fight or he would flight. Jesus Christ steps into the equation of the fear in our life. And he says, why are you so afraid? And in the hardwiring of our psychology, in the hardwiring of our brain, when we are so afraid, we're going to either do one of two things. We're going to fight our situation. Can you relate? Or we are going to run for the hills. And think about it through the lens of this text. I tell you that long story to tell you this. Here's a connection point that I think is powerful. As I was praying through this message, I had this moment. I thought, what if Jesus... Knowing the hardwiring of our brain because he made the brain, he knows every neuron, he knows every synapsis, he knows every chemical imbalance, he knows exactly how we're triggered. What if in this moment he's trying to teach them something when he says, why are you so afraid, where he knows you have these two key tools that have been dysfunctional in your life to deal with trauma or fear, you're either going to fight it or you're going to run from it, but ultimately you're going to think that you have power over it. And so he takes his leadership team in chapter 4 and he says, I'm going to put you in this boat and I'm going to put you in the middle of the ocean where you can't fight anything. I mean, where are you going to go? Are you going to swim to shore in the midst of this storm? You have no power to fight it and you have no power to run from it, and I'm going to teach you in this moment that there's a third option. The third option in this midst of knowing that I have to be in control, the third option is trust me. He takes everything from them in a way that only a sea with crashing waves could even do. We don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. That promise is always in Christ. And it's exclusive in Christ. He's showing his team something that he's teaching his church later. The second thing is this. We don't have to be afraid because Jesus is in the boat. In fact, the narrative is, is very simple. There's two common denominators when the storm stops. Whether it's Matthew 14 or Mark 4, the storm doesn't stop unless Jesus is in the boat. And so there's a word for us there this morning. And if Jesus is not in the boat and we're leaning in our own powers or believing the delusion that it's all okay and it's all all right, then we should be very, very afraid because in a moment's notice, our life could be over. And if that's all there is, there is really a lack of narrative to our experience. Jesus is in the boat and the waves are crashing down and they're crashing down all around you, whether it be COVID for the last seven months whether it be a kid that's rebelled, whether it be a marriage that's on the rocks, whether it be a job that you can't stand, there's always a storm in life, amen? It's either you're entering one, in one, or just left one, and cycle hits repeat, and it's over and over again, and if you don't believe that, it's because you haven't lived long enough. And as the storms of life come, there is this reality that the hardest part of a storm it's not the size of the wave. Write it down. The hardest part of your storm is not the size of your wave. The hardest part of your storm is not knowing how long those waves are going to crash down on you. If you listen to a narrative that's frustrating people right now in our moment, this is the counseling part. 
the hardest part for people, the psychology of fear is this. No news, it's worse than bad news. In this story, the waves crash down, Jesus wakes up, all is better. In my story, the waves crash down, the waves crash down, the waves crash down. I'm crying out to Jesus. Ultimately, he's going to take care of it, but I just don't know when. And so the psychology of fear that Jesus is speaking to in this text is what he knows and what we know to be true because we've lived it is that no news is worse than bad news. And so you can't just predict the future. They didn't have a weather app. They didn't know how long it was going to last. We're sitting in this moment, aren't we? We're sitting in this moment where if I just had a narrative, I've been saying this for months, if I just had a narrative of when all of this craziness was going to be over, and you hear people kind of prophesy over it, like, well, once the election hits, and I thought, well, election hits, I thought the fall, we were good. Once this happens, once that happens, how many of you guys kind of raise your hands and say, I don't know. I don't know when anything's going to really change. And the reality is this, that the waves crashing down over a prolonged period of time with no end in sight can wreak havoc on our minds. But the promise of Scripture is regardless of how long the waves last, Jesus Christ is in your boat. Write it down. And at some point, the waves are going to subside because he has complete authority over every situation. And here's the closer. He has complete authority. And we don't have to be afraid because Jesus eventually gets out of the boat. Jesus gets onto the cross. And Jesus Christ walks out of the grave. And if you have any charismatic blood in you, at this point you say amen. Five charismatics. All right, that's why the Baptist service is at five o'clock. <laughs> Jesus gets out of the boat onto the cross. And three days later, our Savior walks out of the grave. This is the narrative that you can't understand if you just preach one story on Jesus on fear in Mark chapter 4. The reason we're going through the entire gospel is to go to the entire narrative of who Jesus is. The gospel is this. You don't have to fear because you serve a Savior who conquered death. And when you don't have to be anxious and you don't have to be scared, it's not because you can believe in yourself. It's not because it's okay. It's all right. It's because Jesus Christ conquered death. Amen? This is the narrative that grabbed the disciples that the Roman Empire heard, and ultimately it went out and changed the world. Peter was a big sissy. I don't even know if that's appropriate to say in church. Peter was a wuss. Peter was scared over and over. He's in this storyline. He thinks he gets it. He goes back. He thinks he's bigger than life itself, that Jesus has shown himself to him and that nothing can rattle him. And then Jesus is headed towards the cross, and Peter makes this statement, I'd never betray you. I'd never be scared. I'd never live in self-preservation mode, Jesus. Jesus says before the rooster crows, you're going to betray me not once but twice but three times. And this girl says, don't you know Jesus? And he says, I never knew him. I don't want anything to do with him. He's living in fear. But as the entire narrative of the Gospels play out, everything changes at the end of the narrative as the book of Acts begins, as the disciples see something. They don't just see a Savior that's in a boat. They don't just see a Savior that goes to a cross. They have lunch with a guy who's raised from the dead, 
and walks out of the grave. And because they have this understanding of Jesus, everything changes for the church. I was listening to a guy talk about church history this week. He said, man, there, there really wasn't any real, real change until Christ rose, until the Holy Spirit comes, and that resurrection power is living in the church. And instead of them saying in a boat, why don't you love us? Why don't you rescue us? Now they're living in this gospel power, and in their doing so, everything changes. And he talks about, have you guys seen the movie Gladiator? Here's my closer. Everyone loves Gladiator, right? Just, just a little violence. There's this guy named Marcus Aurelius. He's a real figure, and he lives in the late 2nd century, and he ruled. He was uh, one of the emperors of Rome. He ruled from about 161 A.D. to 180. He oversaw the fourth persecution, the fourth major persecution of Christians. And as he was overseeing, you got, he's the old guy in Gladiator that gets axed by his son. I don't know if any of that's true, but he's a real figure. And he's looking back on his reign in Gladiator, and he's kind of disappointed. He says, all I've seen is bloodshed. You guys tracking with that? There's a guy under him named Claudius. Claudius is a medical physician. And his writings have been preserved. And there's about six different times that this doctor mentions, about 180 AD, mentions Christians in his text. And as he's mentioning Christians, he's doing so through the lens of examining bodies. And in this time period, they couldn't examine dead bodies, but they could examine dying bodies. Once a body died in this time period, in this culture, it was either burned or it was buried, but it wasn't examined. And so they only had the perspective because they wanted to learn more about what death looked like. They could only do so for people that were about to die, but once they were dead, they had to back away. And so Claudius is examining Christians as they're going to the Colosseums, and they're not being kind of persecuted for their faith. They're being ripped from limb to limb in these Colosseums. And as he's examining these Christians, I want you to see something that is so powerful, that is such a great closer, that don't miss this statement. I put it on the screen for you all to see. This is what Claudius Galenus says. He says, For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something that we witness in them every day. When they're sitting in a boat and the storm is calm, they have a temporary relief valve where they say Jesus is the Messiah. When they're headed to the cross, they start rethinking their whole strategy of what it means to be Messiah. When they see the Savior in resurrection power, this isn't like 10 years after Christ ascends. This is 170-something to 80 A.D. And Claudius comes along and he says, For fearlessness of death... And the hereafter is something that we witness in them every day. This isn't the exception. This is the rule. This is the Spirit of God living in them. This is the game changer. And so Jesus is telling his church as we close out this time together, he says, what are you so afraid of? 1 John 4.18 says this, perfect love casts out fear. Jesus is looking at his bride in the midst of chaos when the waves are coming and there's no end in sight and it's wreaking havoc on our emotions. And he's saying, do you trust that I'm in the boat? Do you trust that I am who I say I am? 
And that doesn't mean negate any responsibility for being safe in the midst of a pandemic. Don't, I'm not going off on some crazy train with going that route. I'm saying this, in the midst of everything going on around us, when we feel like we have no bearings and we don't know what to grab a hold of, do you trust that I have risen from the dead and even in this situation, just like these guys are being persecuted and murdered and they're fearless, do you trust that I actually have a narrative over this entire situation, over this political season, over this, you know, everyone's got an opinion on social media when the world doesn't make any sense and seven point something billion people are going crazy? Do you trust that I actually know what I'm doing and that I'm in control? Do you know me? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus went to a cross and died in your place. He rose from the dead so that you can have life. And he's calling you out of a crippled state of fear. And he's calling into you, into you into a personal relationship with him where he's in the boat with you and he has power over everything that's going on in your world. Do you know Christ crucified in the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And whether we be online right now or in this space or downtown, we just give you this moment where we proclaim that you're good and we proclaim that fear has no power over us because your perfect love casts it out. So help us as a body of Christ to truly be your family, to be your church. I'd also ask in this moment if there's people that are just being crippled by fear and they don't know you as Savior, and the, and the reason that they're scared is because they don't have you in the boat, that in this moment they'd say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm in need of saving. I invite you into my life and into my heart. I pray that you would just change me from the inside out. Save me cast out this fear. I want to be walking in relationship with you. Jesus, I pray that you'd save those people that are crying out to you in this moment. And bind us together with all the noise going on around us. Bind us together with this one reality that we know you in your crucifixion and your death and we know you in your resurrection and we are going to proclaim you from the rooftops literally tonight at five. Help us to walk in this unity. And we pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.